Welcome to the show. I'm Greg McEwen, and I'm your host for the What's Essential podcast. There are lots of shows on how to improve, on how to become successful, but there is only one on what to do once you are. This is essential because success can be a catalyst for failure, especially if it leads to the undisciplined pursuit of more. This show is about how to become successful at success. It's for high performers who are on the edge of exhaustion, solving problems completely before they even arise. It's about turning tedious tasks into joyful rituals. It's about simplifying your processes and making your most essential activities the easiest ones. So if you're a driven, hardworking, productive person who is running out of space but still wants to make a higher contribution effortlessly, the What's Essential podcast is designed especially for you. So let's begin. All right, so let's get real. What is something going on in our life, your life, that is hard right now or feels harder than you'd want it to be? But it's also important. It's a great question. One thing comes to mind is we have teenagers in the house and one of them is getting ready to go to college and we're going through an interesting transition there. And parenting feels a little bit hard right now. (laughs) We did sort of anticipate that there would be a transition, but there's been a way that this child has processed things. I mean, she's just very tough on herself. Yeah, way too tough on herself. But this has been true since she was very young. Yeah, four years old, I remember. What do you remember when she was four years old? I remember that her and her sister had found a caterpillar and they were very excited to come and show it to me. And in their excitement, they were running with it and it fell out of her hands and it got squashed. And she felt so horrible. She felt like like there were eternal consequences to, to this caterpillar dying at her hand, which was completely accidental and uh, completely surprised me that she would feel such, I mean, of course her emotions are not fully mature. And so these are very big emotions and she's trying to make sense of, of everything that had just happened. So, so there's that context, but the, the effort to, to try and reassure her that she was okay, that it wasn't in pain, that it was accidental. But yeah, she was just she was just sure that she was a bad person or that she would be punished for this or that that there was, you know, some terrible consequence waiting for her because she had uh, she'd accidentally squashed this little caterpillar. Yeah. And this was just at 4 years old as you're saying, yeah. and that seemed to give you an insight into how she processed the world around her. Yes. Yeah. And fast forward now to her as a teenager and... Yeah, and she has very high expectations of herself. 
She expects a lot from herself, but a lot of things are invisible to her. I think that is a very human thing. I know that that we've had this conversation about myself and that the things that I've taken on or the things that I'm doing will be invisible. And I'll, I have on occasion said, uh, I feel like I've got nothing done today and genuinely felt that. And you've stopped me and tried to, you know, help me see actually what I have been doing all day. I find that I need to do that from time to time with you and also with our daughter we're talking about. That at the end of the day, the sense of, oh my goodness, I've, I've done nothing. And, and I, I pause and I say, well, is that true? I mean, let's just go back. You know, you, you got up this morning and you attended seminary, this early morning class before school even began. You've worked on some of your college classes. You have, you know, for you, the list can be ridiculously long for a, I haven't got anything done type perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's absolutely true because life can be so busy. You can be in such a reactive mode, whatever you do, whatever your job, and that it becomes invisible, all of the things that you're doing. And so you have, I have had a set goal, like I want to achieve A, B, and C. And because I haven't achieved A, B, and C, all of the things I haven't achieved are are invisible or counted to nothing when they needed to be done. I just hadn't factored them in to the day. And one of the exercises that's helped me to get a bit of perspective is to try and record as the day is happening, what I'm doing. And it's actually kind of hard to do because you have to interrupt what you're doing to do it. But in doing that, it's like, oh yeah, I have been nonstop just because you know feeding someone or helping someone find something or getting a load of laundry in i mean these are just mine everyone has different things that that they're doing seem to be routine or just invisible i forget and i feel nonproductive <laughs> well that's and that's what's so amazing about it is is the sense of having done nothing when it was, as you just said, nonstop, that that to me is the the, the odd gap uh, with our daughter, who is just so um, actually doing so much and doing so much right and getting so much right in her life. Just got into college, just like great grades. I mean, it's not like she's failing. Yeah, with a ton of stress. I mean, she's she is doing very well, and she is really pushing herself. And if I could give her a gift, and that's the that's the thing you face as a parent is, oh, here's my child. They are 18 or turning 18. They're about to, you know, leave the nest. And, you know, I I, I thought maybe by that time I'd be able to iron out all, all of their misperceptions or, you know, certain weaknesses that, that it's like, nope, those, those are going to be part of them for a while. And I wish she could learn that she doesn't have to beat herself into productivity, that she is already productive and capable and achieves so much. 
and has the ability to do so. But she feels like she has to berate herself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You haven't done this thing. How you, that's crazy. You need to do this. You right. should be doing this. Right. There's a principle here that I think after this podcast, I'm going to go and have a conversation with her about. And that is that the things she's a good kid, the things that she's doing, yeah, some may say is a waste of time, but really she wants to be a filmmaker. And I don't know a single fem- filmmaker who doesn't spend hours and hours and hours watching content, watching film, video, movies. And so she is naturally drawn to that. And that's not the only way she wastes time. Sure, she'll get on Pinterest or whatever, and but she's trying to, you know, she likes to decorate her bedroom. She wants to make her bedroom look a certain way. So these these impulses, I feel like, are are actually creative. They're tempting because they feed into what she wants to be doing and creating for the most part. Of course, everything needs to be, um, you know, deliberate. You want to be deliberate about these things. But I want her to, this conversation I want to have with her is to stop beating herself up for being pulled into things that are a natural interest to her. Just just think of the spirit of what you're just saying the painful journey of trying to beat yourself into someone you aren't to not recognize impulses within you as being good as being like gifts that need to be developed and and grown and nurtured instead of beaten out of you, thrown away, you know, discarded. Every what you just said is is so helpful. And you and I have talked about this in our own lives, even recently. I'm talking like in the last few weeks, the last few months, that there are things, well, I'm talking my about myself really here, that there are things that uh, I used to think were just personality quirks and and literally here early 40s i go oh, what what if those are gifts what if those are, mm-hmm. are actually things that you're supposed to develop that you're supposed to not slightly apologize for but embrace and develop and do something with even if they're not the things that other people do or even if it might be a little inconvenient that you approach it a certain way that you do you know, I mean, I should probably give some specifics here, but one is I seem to have an ability to to get things done, make things happen, but I don't know how, and I don't have necessarily a strategy for it. But underneath it, I just was talking with Bob Goff, um, the author of. Uh, dream big and everybody always, uh, you know, and a friend of love mine. Does. Yeah, love does. And he said, yeah, underneath the surface, there's deep strategy. And that, that feels so familiar to me that there are just things and impulses. I think that's the next thing to do. I think I just need to go and do that. Knowing ourselves can be tricky. And then beginning to have it dawn on us, wow, I'm actually, 
that thing is actually strong in me. It's something that I feel an impulse towards. And then discovering that that isn't a bad thing, even though it's not how other people do it. Right. It's what sets you apart, makes you different, maybe makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And those things can actually be, actually be a gift or a talent and set you apart in very positive ways. It's things that can make other people feel uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. I think that's I think that's true. Because it's not their strength. And therefore we can mistake it as a bad thing or a weakness. Yeah. Yes. Is is because it's not their impulse. Right. Their impulse is to some other thing. So it's not that it's not that I'm I'm being critical of other people in this observation. It's just we have unique, different ways of seeing the world and and how how careful we need to be. I mean, you're really good at this. Mm-hmm. Well, but even you, you know, we've we've had to go on a journey together around some of these things that are so different. I mean, you, are, you and I are so different. Yeah. No, there are things that that you'll be bold in, and I feel very uncomfortable. And I'm like, oh dear, I don't know if this is okay, or you know, is this because you wouldn't against do that. the status quo? Oh no, <laughs> you know. But I can honestly say that. I believe that there are many of these things in all of us, and we're just talking about one specific thing with you, but that that is truly a gift. And it is amazing to to watch that gift at play or at work. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. I was just going to say that your, that, that your gift around being seeking peace and being able to achieve peace is is obviously a gift as well and it just brings us to this this phrase that we've been using with each other recently well I suppose I've been using it mostly but it's look let me do my thing and let you do your thing mm-hmm. let's not get in each other's way about it and that's not at all the same and we, we understand this yeah. I'm sure 
that we're not saying, look, you go in your direction and I'll go in my direction. No, it's we want to do be going in the same direction, but let me do it the way I would right, do it. Right. Let me bring to it my my strengths and my strategies. And you use your strengths and your strategies and these things can both work together to accomplish what we're trying to achieve. It's been quite powerful for me because I feel myself that I am needing to learn an almost new way of doing life recently. I call it the being in go. And another metaphor I've used for it is being, is just sort of a surfing metaphor that you're not fully in control of your life. And yet you can feel that there is a force at play and that you are a part of that play. And I can feel that there's deep strategy underneath it that I can't even articulate. But I know the next thing, Let's. this is who to reach out to. This is who to find. This is who to track down. This is who to reach. And yet there's a sort of, how I would describe it, Oh, see, I don't know, feel odd using this phrase now, but it's like deep intelligence. But I don't mean, oh, I am so intelligent. Right, I you're mean, not saying you're deeply it, intelligent as a as a whole statement. You're saying there's a certain skill set here that goes deep in me that I know something about in a deep way. Yes, and the reason I would describe it as deep is because I cannot describe it. Right, it's it's unconscious competence. Yes, and I don't even recall learning mm-hmm. it. So it is, you know, even using that phrase unconscious competence, which I, I don't think is wrong, sort of feels like, well, com- it's still competence. I mean, it's probably right, but it's not because I've done it a hundred times and now I have it unconsciously. It's just there, mm-hmm. ready to be awakened. And how true it feels to me that with our children, and you've brought that wisdom to the table, that the job of the parent is is seriously to nurture that, what is within them, not, not hammer it out of them. Look, we've just got to get you to be like everybody else. We've got to get you to be like me. We've got to get you to make decisions the way we would. We've got to. Or I need you to get on to, this particular track of education and become this right. thing. Or yes, you've got to be the lawyer. You've got to be a doctor. You've got to be a whatever. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a quote, and I wish I knew the name, but um, it's Malala's father, mm. and I just read this quote recently, and it. And it really um, named something for me. Some, it was like, yes, that is what I'm trying to do with my own children. And he said that people, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but that people will ask him, you know, what did you do? You know, as the father of Malala, what did you do to help her to be so articulate and bold and, you know, all of these lovely attributes that um, were describing her? And he said, I didn't do anything. I just didn't clip her wings. And that really named something for me that I'm like, yes, that is what I'm trying to do as a parent. I'm trying to help my children discover who they are and hopefully begin discovering what we're talking about um, 
and developing a deep respect for each other and who each of us are with our perceived weaknesses, with our actual weaknesses, with our hidden strengths, with our visible strengths, and begin to become acquainted with these things and respect them. I, I think it's a rare parent who's comfortable um, <laughs> with their child doing something that is a little scary or a little daring or that is a little um, uh, unsure, you know? Oh, I, I studied acting. I, I studied music, dance, theater in college. And the amount of times someone would ask me, so what are you going to do with that? And the amount of times that I was like, you know what? I'm not sure. <laughs> but I, I felt very deeply that this was, this was the path I needed to be on. I really had to trust in that. And I, and I did trust in that. And, uh, and it gave me great freedom to enjoy that and try and develop that without worrying about the future. Um, not that it wasn't on my mind. And, but to have that freedom, I mean, that might really go against certain people's views and values. So I, I of course, uh, don't want anyone to think that that is the only way to approach life. But speaking personally, it was, it was really wonderful to be able to pursue something that developed things in me that wouldn't be seen, you know, just by looking at acting, you know, someone's like, okay, well, what skills is that going to give you? I mean, it has provided so many wonderful insights and empathy and looking at things from so many different perspectives. And I, I mean, it, it was a really good journey to be on. Well, and you just said the word like good journey as if it was just the past. And of course, there was this early phase. I mean, when we first met each other, I mean, literally, I mean, that's the story, right? I, you'd read about me in the newspaper and then a few weeks later, I'd read about you uh, because you'd just become uh, Belle in the national tour of Beauty and the Beast. And and that was our first year of marriage was, you know, traveling all across North America was my crash course in Americana. Uh, and I got to watch you perform uh, in the show, you know, hundreds of times, I suppose. And, and it was amazing and I loved it. And that was like precious memories. That's just a glimpse into that period. But recently you have felt, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth really, but a bit of a tapping to pick this up after having said, no, I don't want to do it. It doesn't feel the right time for years and years. And then all of a sudden it starts to come like a little, like a little beating heart it just starts coming back to life. And well, first of all, what's that been like? Be honest. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 been as you describe, and then also it's been terrifying. I have truly shed tears of fear, uh, like, and just what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? Is this really that <laughs> important? Or you know, you basically said in every possible way. <laughs> Is this really essential? <laughs> it cannot be essential. I don't need to do this. The family is essential. I want to do this. This I know matters. Surely I can 
it, it's you've been like basically trying to squirm out of it. Yeah, at at different times because I I feel like I've been really spoiled for the last uh, you know seventeen years or so, um, and I know not everyone feels this way, but for me, focusing on the home and the culture of the home and my children has been very fulfilling, and it's been so fulfilling that it's really hard for anything to measure up in importance. But of course, my children are growing up; they're starting to leave the home. And I'm starting to take a look at my own talent development. In some ways, I, I've wondered at times if I've neglected it for too long. You know, oh, you let that go, it's gone. Yeah, it's not coming back. You know, and it's over. Yeah, and yet I have felt this tapping, this invitation in my soul, saying, "You need to dust off those talents and start developing them again. Start." taking time for them again. And maybe it's a bit shocking to to people, but it's it's been really hard to prioritize that. And uh, the journey has very much been just, okay, what's the next step? Because anything beyond the next step has just felt impossible, frankly. And it's like in in your new book, Effortless, where it talks about, you know, the courage to be rubbish. It's like, okay, I just need to be okay with being rubbish. And starting there. What you just described is exactly what it's been. You've had to have the courage to be rubbish. And that's not me thinking you're rubbish. That's you inside going, I am embarrassed by this. I am not polished. I am not, I do not feel as I once felt about this. And, And yes, there's this beating heart, but it's just covered with dust and like just hasn't been this heart has not been exercised this has not been going this has not been going on a run every day and the the journey of just getting that moving has been emotionally expensive for you yeah but it's been good and 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 you've done it i mean you have been you have had that courage, and and the reason it's in the book, you know, in that the chapter that it's in, well, it reminds me of a story. One of my favorite stories of the research of the book was there's this industrialist uh, philanthropist uh, in London who wants to accelerate the journey of human-powered flight. So this is years and years after the Wright brothers have successfully got you know, actually brought flight uh, to humanity in a plane using an engine. It's only 10 years before, uh, you know, Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong will walk on the moon. And so he thinks, look, there's this, this is the time. We can't be that hard. What's basically a uh, going to be a, a bike with wings. You know, he sets this 50,000 pound prize for the first person who can take a plane, go figure eight around these big poles, I think. I don't know, mile apart or something. And for 17 years, he watches that just teams fail at it. He thinks it's going to be achievable, and it turns out not to be. They have these well-funded teams with highly intelligent groups, research institutions behind them. I mean, they have everything going for them. But then enter Paul McCready, who is... um, 
He's in debt. He needs the money of the prize. So it's not just the not just the honor. It's like he actually needs the money. And he, the only team he has, well, he doesn't have a team. He has his friends and family, and he has his young son as his pilot. And they they go at it. They try, how do we, how can we figure this out? And as they're staring at the problem, it occurs to McCready that that everybody is trying to solve the wrong problem. That they're trying to do the figure eight around the thing, build a machine that does the figure eight. That's their focus. But he goes, the problem is, can you create a plane, a machine that can crash and be fixed fast and cheap? He's like, that's the real problem. They would go with this. I mean, this thing they put together looked terrible. It's ugly. It's rubbish. It looks rubbish. They would crash. And within five minutes, he said, you just stick a broom handle back on it and, and, and like tape it up and it would be, they'd be able to go again. He said the other competitors, their, their machines were beautiful. They were just gorgeous things and expensive. And they would crash one time and it would take them six months to be able to repair it, change it, and go again. And so he would have more learning in one day than it, his competitors would have sometimes in the lifetime of their machine. It took him 223 attempts. Uh, they, they won the prize on, the I think, the 223rd attempt. And then two years later, uh, they, they got the second prize, £100,000 for in, crossing the English Channel, first time ever in human-powered flight. Okay, that's quite an, a long story aside. But really... That's what's necessary to help you be able to progress in an optimal way and just start to accelerate in your in this career, in this pursuit. We've got to make it cheap to fail. We've got to make it cheap to learn. And what I think that looks like, because it already feels so expensive to you anyway, is lots of support. Um, and, and lots of nurturing around you and lots of listening and not trying to fix it or do it for you, but just, you know, go along with you on the journey. That to me is one of the things. And the second thing you can do is what you just said, which is just do one thing. What's the next thing? Don't make it expensive by trying to think of all the, the thousandth step. Do the next obvious step. Take that next obvious action. Because then that's that's all you're risking. It's like one chip on the table. Do it, see what happens. Then play one more chip and so on as you take these, you know, take these little bets, learn from them fast, and keep going. It kind of embodies something I've been I've been chasing, I feel like, since uh since recognizing this weakness in me and it is chasing resilience, you know, trying to create a culture of resilience for myself and for um, those around me, including my children, and a safe space to fail and to try again and to to praise effort and to focus on on the value of taking the next step. I think tying that back to just kind of what we've been talking about in this conversation, having the courage to explore and to allow ourselves to to let our perceived weaknesses become strengths and having the courage to let those things that that maybe other people don't know what to do with see the light a little bit more 
and allow that in others too. And we're like, oh, that makes me a little uncomfortable, but actually there might be something really valuable in that my friend is doing or my coworker is doing or my child is doing. You know, having the courage to allow us all to to be a little rubbish sometimes. The thought that just comes to my mind here is there's a perception, I think, pretty universally accepted that strengths and weaknesses are polar opposites. And there's, I mean, there's a verse of scripture that we've read and discussed many times that uh, that if that if we are humble, that God can turn our weaknesses into strengths, which produces, I mean, even if somebody doesn't doesn't have that worldview, the idea that it presents for anyone is that weaknesses and strengths might be right next to each other on a continuum. That maybe it's circular in some way rather than a, you know, rather than a, a flat continuum. And so that some of those things in you that you perceive as weaknesses are actually just one click away from being strengths. And that just somehow brings us full circle back to um, back to our daughter, who um, I think is trying to beat, <laughs> like beat the beat the weaknesses out of her, mm. rather than to nurture them into strengths. And your your insight, I think, has been brilliant about that. That some of these things that she gets pulled to, that she thinks are the great distractions of her life are actually the things she's supposed to be focusing on. So I think that's a good place to actually wrap this. It's always delightful to have you on, Anna. And I think we should do more of it. Well, I'm being suggested that we should do more of it. And I'm really being open to that, to embracing it. You have literally never asked to be on this podcast. I think you would, it would, not, <laughs> you would not be you and even think to ask to be. Maybe that's one of the reasons that it's it's such a pleasure for people to be able to uh, to have you on. I want I just want to do more of this. We'll see we'll see what time allows for in your schedule. It's really a pleasure to just have these conversations, just as we normally would. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I look forward to doing this again. You know, much sooner than before. Uh, Anna, thank you for sacrificing some of your day to be part of this conversation and support uh, me in the What's Essential podcast. It is a true pleasure and a privilege. Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. The show has become, in fact, the top 3% of podcasts globally within just the first five months of its launch. And that's because of you. You have made this special. And I want to end, as I always do, reminding you that if you don't do anything else, just ask what's essential and eliminate as much as possible everything else. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. 
Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.